0: It's the final instalment of our read-through, and we're reading to the end of the book. It's as simple as that today. Balls to the wall, balls on the table, balls everywhere.
1: This is as close as Tywin Lannister gets to begging for his life, calling somebody stupid and then claiming that he's already outflanked them. That's his whole game. So, and he clicks into it seamlessly, even when taking a dump. And
0: you could almost imagine that coming from a place where he's practised in front of the mirror. This chapter centres around this, this beautiful garden and covered in this blanket of snow. Sansa starts to, uh, to, starts to rebuild Winterfell. It's quite nice, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but the thing was that it was far too lovely to be in a George R.R. R. Martin book, so I was
0: just waiting for it to get shit up. Yeah, you didn't have to wait long. Justice. Hello and welcome to Shark Liverell's coverage of A Storm of Swords by George R.R. R. Martin. It's the final instalment of our read-through of A Storm of Swords. This is episode 13, called Mockingbird. I'm Matt.
1: I'm Dave, hello.
0: And we are reading from page 468 in the two-book version. If you've got the one-book version, tough. It's a chapter about <laughs> Sam... It's you just don't give a shit. Brilliant. <laughs> we're, we're reading from a, a chapter about Sam, which begins He sucks harder than mine. <laughs> <laughs> carry on, carry on. And we're reading to the end of the book. Yes. It's as simple as that today. <sighs> balls to the wall, balls on the table, balls everywhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Have you been reading a different version of this than I am?
0: He sucks harder than mine, that's all I'm going to say. Oh,
1: well, let's find out if that's true.
0: Yeah, just before we get started, it's worth saying, um, if you've watched the series as far as the episode called Mockingbird, then watch the rest of this series before you listen to this podcast. Because of the way the book does things in different order, um, there's a big moment in this part of the book. Uh, there's about six happens, big moments in this <laughs> Yeah, well, there's one in particular which gives the which give the, uh, part its title, which happens earlier in the series. So if you're watching the series and you've not watched past the one called Mockingbird, you're going to get spoiled for the rest of the series. And by series, I just mean sort of the end of the TV version, Series 4. Thank you you thought you, so, you so, got away with it, didn't you? This half-fisted attempt to... Yeah. <laughs> I'm just at trying to avoid spoilers for people, and so we just get into it. If, you, yeah. if you're reading the book, this is where we're up to. If you're watching the series and just you're just curious about the book, then, you know, you're going to have to just live with it.
1: Yes. You Fuck ready? you, that's what we're saying.
0: <laughs> okay. We're not, we this love cha- you, we love you. Carry on. This chapter about Sam.
1: This chapter about um, Sam.
0: Hmm. Val and Gilly are uh, having this conversation, which involves he he sucks harder than mine. He's a baby sucking on the breast, Ugh. suckling on a surrogate mother's teat. It's um, nowhere
1: is, near as lurid as I was expecting, to be honest. <laughs> I read that line and I thought, we're in.
0: Yeah, I thought we were in Molestown, but obviously not. <laughs> uh, it's the aftermath of the battle, and obviously, the last we heard at the wall, Stannis had sort of Appeared and started kicking ass and routed the wildlings, and now we're at, we're at Castle Black, and uh, yeah, it's the aftermath. Sam's got this plan which he speaks to Jon about about sending Gilly away. He wants to send her to his dad's house down in uh down in the sort of I don't know southern part of Westeros, and uh, he thinks if he pretends that she's like his I don't know someone is wench. Yeah, he's wench, and the the child's his bastard. Then um, she'll be okay. And he thinks his dad might be quite impressed that he's managed to father a bastard, um, which says a lot about that father son relationship,
1: doesn't <laughs> it? My word! I mean, I kind of we knew about this from when Sam was introduced, but I somehow managed to forget what an un- unbelievable tool Randall Tarley
0: is. Mm. Yeah, there's um, there's this oh. Sam won't tell his secret about uh, Bran to John he promised cold hands that he wouldn't tell Bran, that he wouldn't tell John that he'd met his brother Bran at the night fort so he's not doing that
1: hmm. um, and he feels he
0: feels a bit bad about it but uh you know such is life i suppose
1: i suppose, I suppose if you are going to make a vow to a uh, creepy poorly explained um scabby skinned individual. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to take that stuff seriously, haven't you, really?
0: Yeah, yeah. You don't want these clammy hands coming after you. Oh,
1: oh can you no. imagine?
0: There's also an election going on at the Wall at the moment, and it's to elect the new commander of the Night's Watch, and it looks like Janos Slint is gaining ground because he knows how to play politics with this kind of thing, doesn't he?
1: Because democracy is for chumps. Honestly, yeah. this one place in this entire world where people have the opportunity to choose somebody worth being led by and they're going for Janos Slint.
0: Yeah, not ideal. <laughs> there are a load of um, people's names put forward. Uh, various, I mean, there's a Dennis Malister from the Shadow Tower who seems quite a frontrunner. There's Cotter Pike from uh, Eastwatch, which is the other side of the wall. And these two guys both hate each other, which probably means they're going to split the vote. And then you've got Janos Slint coming up. There's a couple of other guys who don't look like they're going to last very long. And some comedian has put Dolores Ed's name forward. (laughs) He's just, throughout all these election chapters, there's all this serious political wrangling going on. And every so often he just pops up and goes, I still don't know why I'm here. I really don't want to be here.
1: (laughs) I love that he still stands up, though, instead of just kind of slumping into his own... (laughs) Just being like, no, of course I'm not doing it. This is ludicrous. Instead, he keeps... Kind of participating in this charade. (laughs) People, vote me the happy party.
0: (laughs) Every time you get some, it's basically to say, look, it's gone far enough this. Will you please put my name (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Sam is uh, sitting back, twiddling his thumbs and thinking about whether he should get involved here, maybe try and uh, find a way to influence the vote, because obviously... A Janos Slint win would be very bad news for everybody, except Janos Slint, presumably. Yeah, although even for him, because he can't handle it, he's, he's going to be put in a position which he can't manage. I'd say.
1: Actually, that's very, very true. So, out of compassion for Janos Slint, if nothing else, we should be pulling for um, pulling for another character. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, next up is a chapter. We stay on the wall. Chapter about John, and uh, he he meets Melisandra, who comes to fetch him from the yard and take him up to meet Stannis it's weird that as he's in the lift with Melisandra, he says he's not cold because she's sort of not exactly dressed for winter mm. and she says no that the red god keeps me warm and she sort of touches him and he, she feels really warm so it's just another example of how she's kind of weird
1: yeah that is odd
0: there's Actually, some kind of there's real something real. else there, isn't there? It's not just her bullshitting, as we've seen with the Shadow Baby.
1: Yeah, yeah, very, very true. Um, I I quite like this coming together of these two storylines. I'm I'm a massive fan of working out how all of these plots are supposed to have any kind of interaction with each other. Yeah. Um. And yeah. Yeah. So I like I liked it. I also like the fact that he like that this was kind of I I felt a bit of integrity on John's part here, where he wasn't just kind of oh my god, she's so beautiful. Um you know he he you know he wasn't just kind of set to follow her instantly
0: yeah so so this meeting is yeah, it's great to see these two stories come together there's this meeting between Stannis and John, um and Stannis isn't falling for the propaganda put about by Sir Alistair Thorne and Janos Slint that John's a wrong him. Mm. Uh, Stannis is aware of John's worth, isn't he? He's sort of made his mind up for himself, yeah um, Stannis also says that he was convinced to come over by davos so which which explains the sort of the notes that Davos gave as his sort of last line of defense. Yeah. But the thing that made me think here, for all this time, for the entire rest of this book, such as it is, there's no sign of Davos. Where has he gone?
1: That is an excellent question, and I don't know. I mean, uh, so there's, I suppose there's a great chance that he's, um, he's back on Dragonstone, sort of keeping it ticking over. He's the Hand of the King, after all. Mm-hmm. I think Stanis has any Stanis has any sense. He's going to travel with both the Red Woman and um, Davos mm. as little as possible. Yeah, <laughs> um, so that would make sense. But you're right. He has for a POV character who's just dropped
0: off the face of the earth. Uh, my first thought here was: Is he dead? Did Stanis execute him? Oh, I certainly fucking hope not. Because he kind of, he said, he was about to, wasn't he, when yeah. the chapter ended, and then Davos says, look, I've got this note. I mean, it's entirely plausible that Stannis goes, that's a fair point, we're going to head up to the wall, um, and I'm going to have to execute you. It's just very, the kind of thing that Stannis would do. That is very true. Um, Although
1: he does he does speak as though he valued Davos' advice. Like, he kind yeah. of like not just kind of from a oh yeah that will benefit me but kind of from a moral standpoint as well because he says says something I think is really true he was like you know I had it the wrong way around I was trying to um, what was it I was trying to win the throne so I could save the realm Hmm. and actually what I need to do is save the realm so I'll win the throne and that's very kind of Stannis honourable reasoning so um, so I like I, I would be surprised if in response to that Stannis killed him on the other hand Stannis has this like Totally stark moral code, which I, I could well believe him doing what he just said. Just sort of like, yeah, Grand Wicked, you're absolutely right. That is morally correct. No, no benefit accrues to you because of that. You fucking turn cloak. Yeah. It is a sword.
0: Yeah, because um, there's a chance that he'd say, "You're absolutely right. I'm going to change my course now." But you still did what you did, and therefore, you know, there's a punishment for it. Yeah, but the know. thing is,
1: is in Stannis's way of doing things, would Machinations against the Red Woman count as like as treason. Oh, I suppose that yeah. You know, no, the problem is that he he took Edric Storm away, didn't he?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. I you could make a fair argument that that wasn't treason, but I think only somebody like Stannis would possibly listen to it. Yeah. I really hope he hasn't killed Davos.
0: I really yeah. do. Yeah. It's just weird that he's gone without a trace and no mention of what's happened to him.
1: Yeah. Although that happens quite a lot towards the end of these books. That not everybody gets their kind of dramatic concluding moment. Mm. Uh do you know what I mean like like Daenerys is just kind of left ruling somewhere. No that's not yeah. very dramatic she just stops. But since her <laughs> whole story has been stopping and going that's not yeah. like it's not a particularly great dramatic high point. Um so you know I don't know. Mm.
0: Uh there's this offer from Stannis to Jon he is going to make John the Lord of Winterfell, and I assume Warden of the North. Uh, plus, he gets a he gets a wife, Val, who's um, this hot body wildling lady. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to ask how long it took you to come up with that as a way of describing Val.
0: <laughs> and John's kind of always dreamed of having this, and now it's an offer. And it's like, I suppose it's a it's a fairly shrewd one by Stannis. He says he needs the North. Mm. and uh, John is uh, is the next best guy to take it for him, seeing as uh, Ruth Bolton's knocking about now. Um, does he want to get on board? What did you think of this offer?
1: Oh, man, you could feel John's dilemma, couldn't you? Like, in this... Because it is everything he's ever, ever wanted. And um, and I think it was really smart that part of his kind of thought process on this sort of touched on on Catelyn kind of turning Rob against him a little bit. Um mm. And just kind of goes back to that sort of that pain that he must have felt as a child, Um, you know, for as long as he could remember being the son of the guy, the oldest son, by the way, of the guy who, who, who who, who is the Lord, but who was never going to get to kind of be part of that. You know, it must feel Mm. like an entire life with your, with your nose pressed up against the toy shop glass. Mm. So you really feel it. Personally, though, I think this is a terrible decision. I think like, you know, I think he's he's got and we'll see later on in this chunk that like he's got kind of a night's watch. Kind of, he's got a loyalty to the night's watch which actually I think is where he's more needed. You know what I mean? Like Winterfell, mm. Winterfell is is kind of caught up in the game of thrones as such. And mm. but the night's watch are actually, you know, for all that they are a festering grab bag of the worst characters in Westeros. They're mm. doing something I think which is more noble, and is becoming clear is really the point of the story. Um, mm. So I want him to stay on the wall because I want more. I want more battles at the wall. To be honest with you, I thought that was that, that whole sequence against the Wildlings was great, and this whole situation is really interesting to me. Mm. What did you think?
0: I agree. Um, the only thing that pulled me towards hoping he would take it is just this idea of just this yearning for justice and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Ruth Bolton's knocking about if you imagine John as sort of reuniting the uh, northern lords against this usurper and yeah, yeah that'd yeah, be great yeah. uh-huh. but you're right that he's also got a pretty important job to do here even more so by the end of the book
1: yeah and there's and and he would like no messing around this would be turned cloak and no mistake mm. you know like one time everybody thinks that he turned his cloak but he didn't but there's no ambiguity here this is the king turned up on the wall and said here's a massive castle plus how is he going to rule the night's watch after that like he's going to be he's he'll be a rubbish warden of the north because the night's watch won't listen to him hmm. so you know i think i think this is kind of it's like a poison bonbon i think it's not hmm. it's not going to do what he, what stannis is hoping it will do
0: <laughs> a poison bonbon
1: that's exactly what i said I'm sticking <laughs> by that <laughs>
0: All sweet on the outside, but once you get inside, it's poisonous and oh. French. <laughs> okay, let's move on uh, for now to Tyrion. Mm. Tyrion's in his cell, waiting to die. the uh, The cell door opens, and he's sort of he thinks it's his, his executioner come to take him at last, and he's ready to go down fighting. And it's Jamie. And it, it's kind of funny because this is in the book. This is their first meeting since way back when. Um, since probably I think Winterfell, when they left each other on the uh, yeah, on you're the right. Kings Road, sort yeah. of like Episode One. <laughs> um, so this is their first reunion. It's quite sweet, actually. They obviously get on well, don't they? And yep. there's a there's definitely a, a love between them that you wouldn't get between. Um, Tyrion and Cersei for, for starters.
1: <laughs> yeah, but there's a love between my shoe and that pile of dog shit, which you wouldn't find between Cersei <laughs> and Tyrion in it.
0: Yeah. Um Jamie I mean he releases he's, he's come to rescue Tyrion basically. And he, he gets him out of the cell and he's taken him to a passage he's saying, you know, that we're gonna get you out of the city. Tyrion says thank you in a quite a in a very, you know, genuine and humble way. And Jamie kind of misjudges the situation because there's a bit too much sharing because he mm. tells this story of... I mean, there's this story that we heard ages ago with Tyrion where his first love was this girl that he met on the road and had this whirlwind romance and married her within a week and lived in this cottage with her for a week until Tywin found out. And it turned out she was a whore.
2: Mm.
0: And to punish her, Tywin gave her to to his men, and then made Tyrion get involved afterwards, and paid her, yeah. paid her coin for it. Yeah. And um, Jamie confesses that she wasn't a whore, uh, and she was innocent. And yeah. Tyrion, it's like it just like the relationship just explodes, doesn't it? And Tyrion yeah. doesn't want anything to do with him anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. I tell you what this absolutely knocked me sideways. Because this has been part of um, of Tyrion's identity for, like, the whole book. Our only mm. whores could love him, right? You know, hence the relationship with Shay where he's he's kind of willing to show a, a vulnerability, which he was never willing to show to anybody else, and which ended up screwing him over. Mm. Um, and and that whole kind of complex, and, and so many of the decisions that he's made, and so many of the weaknesses that have brought him low, uh, are all completely made out of Tywin Lannister's, like... Extremely tenuous assertion that just because this woman was poor and she was involved with a rich man, that made her a prostitute. Mm. And like, and you know, I, you know, that's before we even get to the monstrous way in which he decided to make that point. Mm. Um. So, so I was, I was absolutely flawed by this, and I think that says a lot about how um how like how well written Tyrion is as a character. Cause I'm just feeling it like I'm just so conscious of what this must do in his head. And any other yeah. time I'd be looking at the overall relationship and I'd be going, no, yeah. no because you see Jamie's a very powerful ally and and you know and you know he likes you and nobody else likes you, you know, don't. But in that moment I was like, yeah, fucking right. Like I can mm. you know to know that and keep it from him is appalling. I was yeah, I mean bosh. This is this was like a, this is this is an end of book plot moment and no mistake. I was just I was astounded.
0: Yeah. And <clears throat> Tyrion to sort of he he actually strikes Jamie, doesn't he? And Jamie yeah. says, I guess I deserved that. Yeah. And um Tyrion says, Well you deserve more than that and you'll get it in time. He threatens him. And then he has a few. <sighs> because that worked well for Tyrion in the past, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. And he's got a few home truths of his own. Um including uh Cersei is a lying core. She's been fucking Lancel and Osmond Kettleblack and probably Moonboy, for all I know. <laughs> uh, so that, I mean, I think that's going to tear Jamie's world apart a little bit, because he, yeah. he's been, for all the weirdness of it being his sister, entirely devoted to her, hasn't he? Yeah. And I yeah. think assumed it's but the same way. Yeah. Um. So that drops a bomb on that relationship. And also, Tyrion lies, and... Uh, Claims he killed Joffrey, such as his such as sort of hurt yeah. and uh, anger towards Jamie. He's just saying anything to upset him now, isn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and it works clearly. Mm. Um, I wonder if this will come back and bite him on the ass because now he's got the Lord Commander of the watch going. Yeah, he confessed it to me, mind mm. you. He's going to die in the morning anyway.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Tyrion leaves Jamie and wa- um, wanders off to to Varys who's waiting for him further down the hall to to get him out of the city. Uh, They go through these horrendous black cells on the the bottom. There's basically the cells where prisoners are kept, the black cells where people like Tyrion and Ned Stark are kept before they die, and then the cells even further below that where people are just taken to be tortured. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tyrion has to wander through there. And they finally get to a passage which is right underneath the Han's Tower, and basically there's one way out of the city and another way up to the hand, to the room of the hand of the king and tyrion says i'm going up there leave me to it and varys is kind of varys kind of says don't do it but then gives him very precise instructions of how to <laughs> yeah. Did you get that yeah
1: i really did and it's particularly now that it's described like when he describes the journey he takes up to the the uh the tower of the hand there's no way he could have done it without Varys, and Varys knows that. So Varys is yeah. like, oh, Lord, no, please don't. And you can almost hear him in his head drumming his hands, hands together and going, excellent, excellent, chaos, <laughs> yeah. mayhem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You must not
0: go up the 379 rungs of ladder and then take the 234 <laughs> paces right until you come to... <laughs> and above
1: all, remember that the password you must not use <laughs> is strawberries. <laughs> alright oh, yeah. okay strawberries no nice thanks <laughs>
0: yeah so this is um, this is Tyrion enraged isn't it just going he's going after his dad now yeah because of because of what he's found out from Jaime. Mm. Um I mean the thing is if this is, if Varys does kind of want him to go up there and confront confront his dad I'm not sure why he would but if he <laughs> did I mean it doesn't happen if Jamie doesn't tell Tyrion this story does it and I don't think Jamie would have, I think Jamie genuinely just decided it's time to, you know, fess up, yeah, to to clear the decks almost and come yeah. clean. So it's a bit funny this part of the this part for me, but regardless, Tyrion's on his way up to settle the score with dad. Um, he he wanders down these little hall, little sort of corridors which are next to the main corridor. So he can, this is basically how Varys gets his rumours, isn't it? He wanders through these with his little birds and uh, listens to conversations. Tyrion can hear two guardsmen joking about Shay and uh, how Tyrion's going to die tomorrow. Hmm. Um, yeah. It's quite a nice insight into just how Varys works, isn't it?
1: Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah. Because um, we haven't had much of Varys recently, have we? like he just sort no, kind of no. like for the last book or so he's just kind of popped up whenever you need whenever you need something underhand and secret to happen and yeah. don't be wrong you know he plays that role to perfection but um but i always do like seeing it because i have a sense of a much bigger and more complicated world which contains all of the plot i could ever want and, yeah. and it's all hidden in in Varys's powdery palm
0: i also think there's an element of Varys just keeping his head down cuz i think him and yeah. littlefinger are diametrically opposed, and when Lizardfinger is really on the rise, isn't he? Yeah, And I think that has meant various' influence has drained, yeah, so he's, yeah. he's kind of, he's keeping his head down for his own purposes as well, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrion reaches the Hand of the King's Chambers, he finally finds the uh, hidden doorway which he'd been looking for all the time through Clash of Kings when he was living here, and it's behind the fire. Uh, he walks in, and there's someone in the bed, and he hears Shay um, say, "My Lord." And there's this, there's this um, heartbreaking moment where Tyrion thinks something like, "You know, that would have hurt once when I still had feelings." Yeah. And he's just—he's so shattered, isn't he? That he just yeah. doesn't care anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it. Oh, yeah. This is heartbreaking. This this whole sequence is just absolutely heartbreaking because you've got this character that you identify very, very closely with absolutely falling apart. And, yeah, and this is just, you know, this really kind of in a way that's far more personal than the courtroom scene feels like a much deeper betrayal. That was public. This is just straight to the Mm. root of it.
0: He finds Shay in his father's bed, uh, wearing the, it couldn't, it, they couldn't have staged it more to like to piss Tyrion off and upset him and yeah. twist the knife, could they? Um, she's wearing the the chain that he used to wear, the the, the, the hand of the king's chain yeah. around her neck. Yeah. Um, and in the end, he, I mean, he, he speaks to her first um, as he's getting ready to kill her, yeah. and she pleads for her life. And then he strangles her with the chain. Mm. And he says these words. Do you remember from the, the song that, that Simon Silvertong wrote of him and Shay? Yeah. And try to threaten them with it. And it's, uh, hands of gold are always cold, but a woman's hands are warm. And he says it as he's, as he's killing her. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. I feel, the last episode with Arya felt like that was the sort of almost breaking of a character. And I don't know, I feel that we may be seeing this with Tyrion as well now, a lot of the goodness mm. may be being kicked out of him here.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Although, kind of the rest of this char- chapter kind of does make me think that maybe what's going to happen is he's going to, um, like, that this is him getting out of his system. Like, mm. whereas with Arya, I had a sense of him not, uh, a sense of her kind of not really knowing what to do and mm. kind of just going off the deep end in a way. Like, she doesn't really have a moral compass, she's a kid.
0: Mm. So, uh, Tyrion goes on. He he selects a crossbow from a line of weapons. There's a little bit of a... got to admit, in the middle of all this, it was really um, emotional, and I felt every bit of it with Tyrion. But the, on second reading, there's a little surreal moment where he's choosing weapons off the wall, and it just it's reminded me of that bit in Pulp Fiction where Bruce Willis is picking the different weapons to use. He's got a baseball bat and a... Have you ever seen that bit?
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought of... <laughs> I liked. Um, uh, I thought it was a bit like Hot Fuzz, you know where you yeah.
0: walk. <laughs> yeah, I think is is that a parody of Pulp Fiction? I think so. Oh, I, I don't know. I,
1: you might be right. Actually, I'd never thought of that because I just, I just, I, I love that whole kind of. There's a sea <laughs> mine in a flipping, <laughs> in a flipping barn. Um, but you're right, actually. Yeah, he's kind of walking, and he's like kind of the, the baseball bat. <laughs> yeah yeah the gun the big the katana i'm having the katana
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <clears throat> Tyrion selects um, in his version the crossbow and uh he thinks there's a problem because he's only going to get one round off if if the guards burst him but mm. he basically doesn't care anymore does he yeah yeah he finds tywin um on the toilet he's on the privy and um it would be funny in any other circumstance, wouldn't it? But it doesn't yeah. feel funny here. No, that's true. It's funny because <laughs> times on the shitter and his son turns up with a fucking loaded crossbow aimed at him. And his reaction isn't re- remotely fear. It's sort of, is like telling off, is reprimanding a-, a wayward son. Yeah. He's like, you don't have the guts to shoot me, Tyrion. Put the cor- crossbow down and we'll talk about it. I've yeah. got a plan to save you anyway, so don't worry.
1: Yeah.
0: Um... Do you think this plan to save him is genuine? He says, I'm going to send you to the wall anyway. Is this Tyrion, Is this Tywin trying to plead for his life, or yeah. is it him genuinely saying this nah, is what's No, on?
1: I think... I, I, I mean, weirdly, such is the smoothness of Tywin as a character, I kind of believed it for a second. But no, of course he didn't have a plan in place. This is as close as Tywin Lannister gets to begging for his life, calling somebody stupid, and then claiming that he's already outflanked them. This is what it looks mm. like when Tywin Lannister bags for his life. And, um, and it doesn't work.
0: Yeah, I don't. I'm in two minds. Oh, the first time I read it, I thought it was he's begging for his life. The second time, I thought I don't know. but he Probably, he, he might have a still have some kind of plan to get him up to the wall because he doesn't want he doesn't want to kill his kids. Uh, he draws the line at that. There are many other things he will do, and also his whole his whole attitude here, even to the point of where Tyrion dares him to say "whores" again, and he says it. He's almost mocking Tyrion, he's genuine, and he, when he gets shot, yeah. he, he's just shocked, he can't believe he's done it, and I don't yeah. think he's, I don't think it's even crossed Tyrion's mind that he's in hes in genuine danger.
1: I, well, alright, okay, I suppose you could be right there, although I still don't think that means that he had a real plan, I think that's just him going, mm-hmm. okay, clearly this is what's going on and what one does to bargain in this situation is say that yeah. I've got a plan to get you saved. Um, you're right, actually, he does look quite surprised. So maybe it isn't him begging for his life. But I don't believe that if he were ever in a position, which he won't be, where he actually literally thinks he has to beg for his life, that he would do anything other than this. Because his whole yeah. kind of armoury is about condescension and being richer and being more powerful and already having the plan. That's mm. his whole game. So And he clicks into it seamlessly, even when taking a dump. And you can almost imagine that coming from a place where he's practiced in front of the mirror, just you know, being found in various compromising situations and clicking straight into "listen, you fool, I'm in charge."
0: <laughs> yeah, as well, he's too proud as well, isn't he, to beg? Oh, there's no way, he's far beg. too proud. Yeah, so so Tyrion basically, there's this conversation. Tyrion's got the crossbow leveled at him, and Ty, they, they talk about Tysha, and Tyrion kind of remember her name and says. He's completely remorseless, isn't he? And says, "Well, you know, you were rich and she was poor, and she was even if she wasn't, you know, actually a whore, she was as good as because that's the only reason she was sleeping with you." And um, and Tyrion says, "You know, when when he says the word whore, he says call her that again, you know, and I'll yeah. kill you." And then she he says, "Where um, where did she go? You know, did you kill her afterwards?" He says, "No." He so, said, "Where did you send her?" She says "He says." He says, "Wherever whores go," and that's the that's the that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Uh, Tyrion tightens his finger finger on the trigger and uh, crossbow bolt into the groin of Tyrion. And Tyrion's just like, "Yeah," as like we say, he's absolutely shocked, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and he says to Tyrion, "You're no son of mine," and yeah. this is this is why I was worried about the character Tyrion from here on. He says. So he's to 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 Tywin. Um, you, you're wrong. I am. I am you, writ Small. Hmm. Yeah. basically. I'm. We're, we're exactly the same. And I just wonder if there's a, it, the books trying to t- show you this parallel between Tywin, where there was a a ruthless but also a a more human side to him, which disappeared when his wife died, and oh. whether whether Tyrion's following the same path now.
1: I totally hadn't thought of that, and I think you're right. Oh man, that sucks. I mean, it's going to be a sight to see, but I'm quite sorry to see Tyrion. The pan, the chance of Tyrion going over to the dark side.
0: Although the, the, there's definitely the, the, there are problems with that. I suppose insofar as uh, Tyrion definitely doesn't have this um, massive hard on about his family and the family line and how everything's yeah. about yeah. his motivation isn't the same, is it? Yeah. Although the I don't know, maybe some of the things that form your your character and you your sort of you your light and dark inside you. are have been formed in a similar way to his father here. And the the, the chapter ends with a almost, with a joke at Tywin's expense, uh, which really brings such a powerful character down to Earth, doesn't it? Yeah. In that um, Tyrion smells uh, the smell as his father's bowels let go. Yeah. And it says, uh, yeah, Tywin Lannister, it turns out, didn't shit gold after all. It's
1: quite a good line.
0: <laughs> it's the yeah. closest
1: that we're going to get in Game of Thrones, isn't it, to the kind of... I to see you or whatever, like the the kind of really cheesy line walking away as the thing explodes kind yeah. of action movie shit. Um, but yeah, I was astonished here. And it was such a simple but brutal retelling as well where it talks about, you know, like it's gone all the, the crossbow bolt has gone all the way in up to the fletchings and, mm. and then he just kind of lets go and dies. And I was like, uh, another it was another occasion where I had to read it again. I was like, "Nah, mate. Nah, <laughs> d- what? Tywin Lannister is dead." Yeah, like, it was. It was that exact Father Ted revelation moment. The <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I, I mean, what do you think? Here, there's two things. I think it's it's kind of exciting to think now Tywin's gone. What on earth is going to happen politically in the city? Oh
1: man, it's going to go to shit.
0: Yeah, he is keeping it all together, isn't he? Or he yeah, was. Yeah. But at the same time, it's time in Lannister. He's one of the for me. He's one of the best characters in the book, mm. and he's gone now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What did you think?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. From that character standpoint, I mean, I, Cersei is somehow going to have to double down on the malevolence. Um, mm. Either that, or, or you know, Littlefinger returns. I can mm. definitely see that happening.
0: Mm. Uh, so we should move out of King's Landing for now, before it goes to shit? And, uh, <laughs> to- good idea. <laughs> Let's get out where the game's good. <laughs> and uh, on to Sam, back up at the wall. And uh, Stannis has got all the candidates in front of him, because they've, after ten days, the Night's Watch still haven't chosen anybody to be the leader. And... Uh, Janos Slint is creeping like a motherfucker, isn't he? <laughs> he's doing his absolute best. But it's it doesn't work on someone like Stannis, especially considering Stannis knows about the corruption that was sort of dogged the gold cloaks in King's Landing as Janus Slint was when Janos Slint was commanding it. Yeah, yeah. He sat on the small council and heard all this evidence about how Slint took all these uh, bribes to promote different people. Yeah. And uh, and how Robert King Robert wasn't bothered. Uh, and his King Robert's brother is a, a much different fish, isn't he? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I quite like this about Stannis because I thought, you know, he, he sort of he isn't being taken in by it, and I don't know, it was just sort of a a mark in the good column for him. What do you think?
1: Yeah, actually, I really agree with that. Um, I t- actually, all the way through this sequence with um, Stannis on the top of the wall with John and then in the way he deals with Janna Slint here, I start to see Stannis as something other than a kind of hen-pecked, sweaty-browed loser, basically, who's just kind of, you know, petulantly demanding what he believes should be his. And mm-hmm. I kind of saw the other side, like, the kingly bit, where he's able to look at Slint, and where Slint is kind of playing everybody else, he's, like, kind of like, fuck off. <laughs> it just absolutely shuts him down. And, um, and the same on the wall as well. Like, John, who's quite an imposing character himself, is clearly um, under no illusions as to who's the boss. In that conversation, mm. yeah. so I, this kind of made me warm to Stannis in a weird way, um, more than it has done when he's been stuck on Dragonstone, bitching about the rain and the throne and all the rest of it. Yeah,
0: I think he's finally doing something, isn't it? Yeah, and also,
1: other than uh, other than surreptitiously ha- killing his family members in the name of gaining power,
0: yeah, he's also got a plan. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna basically says the Night's Watch can keep. The three castles, the garrison at the moment, but you've not got the men to garrison the rest of the wall, so I'm going to take over it. I'm going to garrison the rest of the castles, and we're going to keep night fires burning all along the top of the wall, and we're actually going to do something to defend it. And uh, I mean, it's brusque and it's typical Stannis insofar as assuming that the Knights Watch are going to give up a lot of the castles without a fight and he yeah. also wants the uh, the land just behind it so he can settle the wildlings there which I'm sure we good down a treat but um, at least there's a plan you know yeah. because yeah. we've spent two books just three books just thinking these Cookie Monster zombies are coming from the north and <laughs> the, the Night's Watch isn't remotely prepared and what are they going to do at least there's at least there's a plan now
1: yeah um. yeah you are absolutely right like um, but at the same time I th- I don't know. I have kind of a. I've discovered a, quite a regard for the Night's Watch and their, their whole thing about being independent. Because if they're not mm. independent, that's the first step to them ceasing to exist. And I think actually it's probably quite a good thing that you've got a load of people who are up on the wall doing their thing up there, um, mm. you know, for such a time as this. Yeah. Um, but I don't, know, I don't see how they're going to turn him down because he's got a massive army and they've already fought two battles and nearly lost.
0: Yeah, that's I'd, very much his thinking as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. There's an element,
0: there's an element of his brother Renly in that. Yeah. You remember when Renly had the numbers over Stannis and was just like, "Well, don't matter what you say, I've got the numbers." Yeah, yeah, it's, that's it's a very Barathean trait, isn't it? <laughs> it
1: is. It is. <laughs> so we can only yeah. hope the Night's Watch don't start having shadow babies because that would be <laughs> that would be
0: gruesome. Yeah, yeah. He's also mining dragonstone because it turns out there's loads of dragon glass beneath dragonstone uh, kind of makes sense I suppose. Yeah. So, so we've got <laughs> Yeah. So we've got a uh, possible source of cuz the last time we even came across dragonglass was up at the Fist of the First Man they left most of it over there. Yeah. So they need a new supply from somewhere and it looks like they've got one for the time being. He actually says I don't think I'm going to keep dragonstone for much longer. Uh, but for now, we're going to have a supply from there.
1: Military genius that that is. Like, I tell you what, I've got a source of the the weapon that's going to help me to finally win the war that I think I'm here to fight. Yeah, probably going to let him take it off me. To be honest, I uh, I just see no downside to that plan. <laughs>
0: what? <laughs> well, the thing is, it's a rock and a hard place, isn't it? Because either he takes, he needs men to defend the wall. Yeah, and he needs he needs them to have dragon glass. So he needs men to mine the dragon, glass. Yeah. But he needs them in both places, doesn't <laughs> he? Because if he sends a good portion of men to defend Dragonstone, which would be a lot of men, yeah. uh, they can mine all the dragon glass in the world, but if they've not got enough men on the wall, then <laughs> it's yeah. going to be no good. Actually, that's
1: <laughs> very true, yeah. Although he did sort of turn up on the wall in a twinkling. Of the plot, yeah, true. so there is there yeah. is a bit of me that's like kind of oh all right then, that <laughs> must be a fairly swift
0: commute from Dragonstone to the centre of the Wall in the north. That's an interesting point you make because the one of the criticism of one of the criticisms I've heard of George Martin is that he struggles with scale, mm. um, how far things are away from from people and yeah. how big things are. I think I think he he struggled with getting the walls, the size of the wall, quite right. Yeah. Insofar as how big it is in relation to how long it would feasibly take someone to climb up it, yeah. and all this kind of stuff, <clears throat> I actually and, yeah, think that's people really travel true. distances. Sorry. Yeah, people travel different distances and different you know, odd times sometimes. Yeah,
1: when it's kind of convenient for the plot. I mean, I'm not complaining because yeah. Stannis has got off his arse and done something, but um, yeah, but you are right. I mean, I actually read an interview with George Martin where he was talking about the first time he saw the mock-ups for the wall from the TV series. He was like well, that's far too big. And they were like, it's, <laughs> it's as big as you wrote it. And he's like, no, yeah, it's 700 foot tall. Yeah, but it's not that big. Like, he just <laughs> totally didn't conceive of what a 700 foot wall of ice would look like.
0: Yeah. Do, do you know what's interesting? Uh, this, because it's it draws on medieval history, this does actually mirror medieval history quite well insofar as writers at the time struggled with scale and oh, really? how long it took to do things. Yeah, I remember I did a medieval history bit on the Crusades Yeah, and there was like estimations of how long it took knights to get over to different places and sometimes it was roughly right and sometimes it obviously had the best guess and were, were way out. Like, even a superhuman knight couldn't... Like, you know, they they left... I don't know. They left Normandy and you know in France, yeah. and five days later they turned up in Byzantium and Constantinople, <laughs> modern-day Istanbul. <laughs> it's like <actually> not possible. <laughs> That's it. In oh, full armor way, as the, well. Yeah. By the way, in full armor, going overland. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I suppose that, that that does actually. There's an interesting parallel between the the period is trying to. Uh, draw his inspiration from and some of the problems he's faced
1: brilliant brilliant george martin is so into medieval history that he's enacting it himself in himself he (laughs) is the inaccurate (laughs) medieval scribe next thing he's going to be insisting he can only write the seventh installment of the book series on like vellum skin or something (laughs) yeah uh
0: okay oh the other thing is the other thing i quite like about stannis I uh, don't want to just go into a big old gushing rant about him. but um, Yeah, because that's, that's
1: not possible. I don't think there's any way yeah. in the universe one could be genuinely gushing about Stannis.
0: Yeah, but it's just how Melisandre's always coming out with the Azora High Reborn stuff. Yeah. And every time she does it, he looks so uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <It's the
1: laughs> He's so close to being like, yeah, 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 all right, uh, moving on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like well, at school, if you're, like, your little brother said... Uh, Oh yeah, my, uh, my my big brother's this this and that, and he can do this and that, and they're like, all right, all right, yes. <laughs> uh, don't build it up too much. Cause, uh, <laughs> he just, He's the he best fighter like... ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, top ten.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, who, are who are you? Yeah, he can you can have you. Hang on a minute. <laughs> so, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> he going to fuck you up. Hang on, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Maybe not fuck him up, maybe just, you know, talk him round. Or... <laughs> can we settle it over a game of chess? I don't know. But... I love
1: the idea of status. Finally, like in the moment, if he reaches whoever represents the cold god or whatever it is, you know, the evil god from the north, <laughs> you just turn up yeah. and be like, listen, she's got a bit carried away with this Azura High stuff, but, I mean, can we have... Should we just get a coffee. Can we just talk it over. <laughs> oh, it's hot. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Bit insensitive. Um,
0: frappuccino. <laughs> yeah, this massive. Super thousand foot high ice monster bursts out of the mountain and goes, Who challenges me? And Melisandre goes, Here comes Stannis, bringer of light, he's gonna fuck you up. Well, well, hang on a minute, Melisandre, hang on a minute. (laughs) Let's just talk this through. (laughs) I never said that though, did I? Let's be fair. (laughs) We can live together, can't we?
1: peaceful coexistence between the extreme of light and the extreme of darkness that, that was my plan all along woman I don't know what you're complaining about
0: I actually quite like the idea of Melisandre standing on a mountain pointing at this monster going he's gonna fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I would love it if she
1: totally lost it then and just became like a drunk girlfriend on a night out Go
0: to fucking have him fucking have him <laughs> Oh dear, anyway, My yeah, so he's, he's uncomfortable with the, the name uh, Stannis' is. and also Eamon asks to have a look at, or oh, you know, through Sam's eyes, look at this flaming sword that Stannis wields and Stannis duly shows him his fantastic enchanted sword <laughs> Sorry <laughs>
1: I thought you were going to get through that as well, I thought you'd soared over that but No, no. Uh, we're back,
0: we're we're back at he sucks harder than mine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's the shark liver oil way, though. Like, why bother with the stars when you can walk quite happily through the gutter?
0: Yeah. Um, basically, look. So, so there's this there's this weapon, this sword, which is uh, it glows with a fire. And uh, Eamon's not that impressed. But later on, he says to Sam, "Did you feel any heat off it?" And Sam says, "No." Mm-hmm. And Eamon's a bit concerned that kind of. I think the true legend. Suggested that the 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 blade was actually almost on fire, you know, fire made steel. Yeah. yeah. So again, every so often there are just questions over how. I know Stanis doesn't entirely believe it, and whether he really is this legendary character, Mm. or whether Melisandre maybe got it wrong. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think we tend not to think of Melisandre getting it wrong as a possibility, but actually she's just one of these clerics of for a law, isn't she? Mm. Like Um, you know, so we've seen Thoros of Mir, he's another one. And he doesn't seem to be bothered in the slightest about what's going on in the north. Yeah. Um, you know, and perhaps perhaps we're gonna find out, like perhaps, you know, I don't know, if if Daenerys ends up in um in Mir or something. Uh, she'll end up talking to, you know, whatever is the central organizing authority of this religion and they're like, no, her, she's mental. Melisandre, she's off the hook. She's got some mental ideas, nothing to do with us. <laughs> and it's just gonna turn out that she's just making it up.
0: <laughs> it would be quite the uh, quite the achievement,
1: wouldn't it? It would be. I reckon that's what's gonna we've got plenty of books left, Matt. Loads of narrative
0: time. You've got to gotta to fill in yeah. with something. Yeah. The uh the next bit as well. Sam here. The main thrust of what Stannis is saying to these uh, these various candidates for the Lord Commander job is: Look, I've not got all day. I've not got, well, I've not got all week, all year, all month, whatever, to sit around waiting for you to pick a fucking leader. So pick one quickly, or else yeah. I'll pick one for you. And the problem is that it, Janice Slint is still on the rise, and and Stannis says, you know, if you pick him, I'm not going to like it, but I'll I'll live with it. So Sam decides to intervene. He's got these two um, other possible candidates, Cotter Pike, as we said, and Dennis Mallister. They're both polar opposites of each other. They hate each other, and they'll vote for anybody else before they vote for each other. So Sam thinks, well, maybe there's a third way. Maybe we can engineer somehow to get John elected. Bear with me. (laughs) So he he visits each one of these guys in turn, Cotter Pike and Dennis Mallister, Although very different, they are. He meets Cotter Pike, and he's this guy's gruff, rude, and tough, isn't he? Mm. And then he visits Dennis Malister, and he's pompous, arrogant, and tough. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing they share is is this toughness. And yeah. then beyond that, they're completely different. Yeah. And Sam does the classic playoff where he says, uh, I know you don't want to vote, you know, Cotter, Pikey, I know you don't want to vote for old Dennis over there. But maybe you could vote for John because he's he's got a something about him. And Dennis is like mm, maybe yeah, but I'm not sure. I still think I'd be better. Well, <coughs> the thing is, Stannis. Uh, Stannis said to me that if you don't choose someone tonight, he's gonna pick uh, old Cotter Pike over there. He's gonna pick old Dennis Malister over there. <laughs> and then he does the exact opposite with uh, with with Malister. He says, "Yeah, uh, yeah well." I just heard from Stannis that he's gonna pick old uh, old Pikey if you don't. Uh, if you don't get something sorted tonight. It's brilliant, isn't it?
1: It's genius. And it's because it's Sam as well. Sam, this guy who can barely walk three steps in a line without doubting his own bravery, is the guy sitting there with his knees knocking and telling a transparent lie to two people with a lot more nous than he has. And they're still (laughs) like, really? He said that? Bloody hell. Well, I mean, I'd better get on board then, hadn't I? <laughs> like he does it as well, Magnific- Sam's first victory. I love
0: it. Yeah, yeah. Uh next up is John, so we're staying at the wall again. A lot of a lot of chapters up at the wall in this part. Mm. And um John's wrestling with this uh this decision whether to take Stannis' offer as become Lord of Winterfell, or whether to stay in the night's watch and get executed as a traitor once Janice Lynn, um gets the inevitable Lord Commandership. Tough decision for him, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> even when he's in the yard training, he has this memory of Rob. When either I mean, there's a real sense that Rob and John were best friends, weren't they? Even though, they yeah. were like, despite the issue of John being a bastard when they were younger, yeah, he used to always practice in the yard. But even Rob used to say to John, or said in on this one occasion, "You can never be Lord of Winterfell because you're not a Stark." And it's just all playing on John's mind. He goes for a, a walk uh, out beyond the wall, as you do, mm. and um, he's pretty much decided that he's going to take Stannis's offer and become the Lord of Winterfell. He's always wanted it. Mm. When Ghost comes out of the mist, yes, out of the trees, um, he's back. Go, because the, the, he last saw him when he before he climbed the wall, and he thought he'd lost him for for good. Yeah, and he's back, and I don't know. There's something about the direwolf and the eyes which. And I'll mimic the eyes of a weirwood tree, and it just brings it all back to Jon that Winterfell isn't his place to be, and yeah. he needs to accept it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I find it was really interesting and like great integrity in this decision where he's kind of reminded of what he, of his identity, you know, and his beliefs, and and his like, and the relationship that's so important, the relationship with his wolf, and it all kind of boils up, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not doing that." Mm. And um, and he's faced such integrity you know what i mean like this this thing that he's kind of been conditioned to want since birth but he's like actually this mm. doesn't this isn't the right thing to do it might be what might be what i've always wanted but that doesn't mean it's the good thing to do here you know there's something better
0: mm. yeah so he 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 heads back to the hall mm. decision made and you know what they say dave one door closes another door opens and um, it turns out that uh, all the Night's Watchmen have been locked in the hall now until they come up with a decision as to who's going to... Be- Stannis has had enough now, and he's saying, look, <laughs> you're staying in that hall until you decide who's going <laughs> to... be the leader. It's like choosing a Pope, <laughs> isn't
1: it? But, like, with a bunch of <laughs> yeah. drunken, like, just like <laughs> ne'er-do-wells making the decision
0: instead. <laughs> yeah. Stanis and Melisandre up on the wall, watching for the white smoke coming out of the, out of, out of the great hall. <laughs>
1: exactly. I mean, it is that, isn't it? They're under lock and key, and it's like, you're going to take as many votes as it takes, you buggers.
0: <laughs> um,. So John's name has been put forward and this is great because Slint can't believe it and now they can knock a thorn and it all turns to wa- away from them doesn't it and it's fantastic to watch it slip away from these two utter utter bastards isn't it
1: <laughs> Yeah and you kind of do want there to be a character there who can represent us enough to just Connolly be like so uh jog on <laughs> Sadly yeah, there is no I'm- such character alas
0: <laughs> The thing that seals it for John is that they bring the kettle out, which is the place where the um, everybody sticks their vote into. And when they open it, Jorah Mormont's raven bursts out calling "Snow, Snow, Snow." Hey!
1: Yeah.
0: And then, um, and then when like someone accuses Sam of playing a trick, the raven says a couple of other words as well. Mm. And that, um, that is enough to to tip it for John, and he he gets elected. Here's an interesting question. and Here's a theory which I've come across. All right. You know, um, Oral is a wog, and he disappeared into the bird, mm. the wildling dude, and John can do it a bit as well. Mm. There's a theory that Mormon could also do it, and that was why this bird was on his shoulder for, like, ever. Whenever you saw him, this bird was with him. Oh. And, and the, even at Crass's Keep, when yeah. he died, the bird was with him. yeah. And that when he died, a bit of him Stayed ended up in the, in the bird. bird. And that's why it's kind of this bird's doing weird stuff. Do you know what? That's quite credible. That's certainly more credible than the Varys is a mermaid
1: theory that we came across. <laughs> yeah. I'm always a bit We've wary. got to go back to that at one point, haven't we? Oh, we really must. <laughs> I'm always a bit wary when you start saying, I've come across this theory on the internet, and I'm like, oh, I... Have you? But actually, yeah. I find that one quite plausible. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. And I really hope it is, because I quite like the old bear.
0: Yeah, it's quite nice to imagine him still having some kind of some kind of horse in the fight, isn't it? Not yeah. bird in the fight. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lord Snow, as uh, Sir Alistair used to enjoy calling him to take the piss, is now literally Lord Snow. Brilliant. Um so Dennis Malister comes over. He's ever the courteous. Uh, I quite like that guy, even though he's a bit pompous and vain and arrogant, and mm. talks about how highborn people are better than everybody else. He's still in in just unimpeachably courteous no matter what happens, isn't he? He's yeah. Mister Gentile. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 mm. yeah. Very much. And I, I do like and, that. I mean, and of course it makes sense. He's hardly going to go over there and be like "fuck you, Snow," you know, because yeah. he's his new Lord Commander. Um,
0: yeah. Although I think Alistair Thorne will probably do that. I'll get you next time, Snow. (laughs) It is that You win this one, Snow. (laughs) You and your little crow
1: too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you are right. No, I like Malister as well in this bit. Like yeah, you know, he's irredeemable upper class numpty, but at the same time actually manages to be decent about it, which is more than you can say for a lot of other people in that room.
0: Yeah, and Cotter Pike as well and his, his, his gruff sort of pledge of allegiance saying, let's, you know, let's kick some ass. I think it yeah, it's that yeah. moment where, as John, you're thinking, yeah, this is going to be good. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a big job on, but when you've got guys like that around, you, it's half the battle, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: So he's the 998th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Um, is there a significance in this
1: by the way is this going to
0: be oh, like I was going to ask you yeah a thousand I mean because it's too
1: delicious a number to turn down isn't it but you know mm. the idea of there being another two Lord Commanders before anything else interesting happens in the north kind of makes me cry a little bit and I wouldn't put it past George it 16 sixteen well <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. going be like,
0: it's going to be like 70 years before anything happens exactly
1: I wouldn't be surprised well no but I mean let's be honest George Martin's form to this point makes it much more likely that John's going to get horribly killed in his bed by I don't mm-hmm. know a snake or something just totally surprising like just coming yeah. out of nowhere and killing him which a I really nice hope doesn't snake. happen right now what mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to is how good it's going to be John in charge of the Night's Watch and the whole focus of the story have you noticed this? moving towards the north like mm. like you said they're on, the, they're on the wall a lot more now kind of telling the story at the end of this thing and you know the process that started with um, Ned Stark getting his head cut off and then mm. Rob Stark and Catelyn Stark get killed and then Joffrey gets killed and now Tywin Lannister gets killed and like the mm. whole kind of political situation that drove a lot of the tension through the first two books has completely evaporated so the mm. story has to be about something else and presumably that's going to end up being you know, light versus darkness at the wall, and right in the middle of that is John. really
0: exciting Mm. yeah one drawback to this it's all great news, apart from the fight let me just paint a picture for you Stannis is in his tower he's got the Westeros equivalent of a phone next to him (laughs) ring ring, Baratheon Towers Uh, (laughs) yeah, uh, what's that? oh, finally, they've picked someone. Thank God. Honestly, right, who is it? You've got to be fucking kidding me. (laughs) Of all the people they could have picked.
1: (laughs) And it's hardly like you can stroll in there and be like, but I offered him a different job and asked him to be a traitor. And what? What? I can do whatever I like. Um, Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's a wonderful scene. It's like... Come on, and I really wish we'd have seen Stannis's reaction as well. Because now I suspect, yeah. you know, the start of the next book we're going to be six months in the future, and it's going to be Stannis somewhere else sulking. Yeah, um I would quite have liked to see Stannis like stride in there and be like, "What the fuck?"
0: um Can, can I? I mean, semi-spoiler here, but you are may. We, as well, are we going inside well Matt's bunker
1: that. of spoilers?
0: You, we we're going into the outside we're in the we're in the conservatory we're in the conservatory on that <laughs> de bunkers have conservatories <laughs> <But> Mine does. <laughs> <laughs> i'm damned if i'm going to be in there in no decent light and <laughs> it to grow plants and it
1: is lovely isn't it even on those dull winter days there's just a
0: lot more yeah. carry on <laughs> <laughs> um you mentioned how you know the next when we next visit the wall it might be a few months in the future or something um a feast for crows Mm. There is no there is no wall at all. Oh fuck off. <laughs> oh for fuck's sake. <laughs> Unbelievable. I thought, I thought it is as you were saying. Of course all the story is moving towards the wall. Oh. <laughs> I you're think I think there might be there might be, a, there might be a little bit but um it's predominantly about uh the stuff in the south.
1: It's going to be in the bloody prologue, isn't it? I'm going to open it up, I'm going to read that and I'm going to be like, "Yeah, great." Bring it on, yeah. and he's going to be like. Incidentally, more irrelevant plot is occurring in Dawn. Like that's what's yeah. going to happen
0: in it. Um. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, think if I, I think if I remember, he Feast for Crows is uh, predominantly sort of King's Landing and around, sort of as far All as right. the sort of okay. I don't All know right.
1: well, I, I'm looking forward to it, uh,
0: and uh, and that's pretty much it, and then. The Dancer Dragons is the first half of Dance of Dragons is about. Don't ruin it for me. Da- yeah. No, no it's it, it just general sort of structure. Yeah. About Daener- Daenerys and her story and the wall. Mm. And then sort of halfway through the book, it doves t- dovetails and then you get the whole thing again. Oh, but we do nice. split off. Oh, um, really? So we start. Feast doing... for Crows. Yeah, Feast for Crows just just ignores. For, most, for the most part he <laughs> knows the wall and across the narrow Sea.
1: well this is I mean this is kind of what we were saying before about like he's killed off all these characters I, I mean as well as the fact that it serves a plot also I think because he's so sick to death of writing them all being in different parts of the world just like right yeah. he can either he's, kill, he's killed everybody and brought in the story a little bit but you know now he's doing the yeah. other thing of just staying at King's Landing
0: oh the, well the, the one thing that may make you feel you need to buckle up for Feast for Crows mm. is that most of the big character deaths and all the good characters that he's killed have been in that area which he's now about to focus on <laughs> okay <laughs> that uh <laughs> well,
1: it's alright because we're not <laughs> doing this until sometime sometime later aren't we so I'm kind of you know for yeah. shark liver oil I can kind of cleanse my palate a little bit and then come back and enjoy yeah. Feast for
0: Crows some people love it and um I wouldn't say I'm not one of them, but um, I don't. I didn't hate it, but it's, yeah. I mean, when you get those two things, one is zooming in on one particular part, and two is killed off half the characters in it in the last yeah. book. Um, it does create issues. But <laughs> let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. That's for another cast, another time. Yes. Um, sorry if you feel spoiled about that, but I mean, come on. So <laughs> it's, it's not a plot point, is it? It's just the fact that you know what to expect. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> any complaints shark liver oil podcast at gmail.com uh i'll tell you what any complaints send them to shark liver oil podcast at com. put the subject header complaint and i for one will not read a single word that you write <laughs>
1: i thought you were being really canny there in trying to drive traffic no no why would we
0: do that of course I'll read it. Of course I will. Send your complaints to shortliverhour podcast at gmail.com. Actually, we'll even bonus, read them out bonus
1: service, right, we'll either read them out on the show or I will record them specially for Matt in a variety <laughs> of angry voices and and make sure they're somehow played to him at night. Yeah, um thank and you. that's 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 my offer to you listeners.
0: <laughs> okay, let's move on to Sansa. Sansa. We're not we're not done with killing characters off just yet. Uh, two more oh one more is about to go mm. um, Marillion is he's, he's the, <laughs> can't, can't take the name seriously after you uh, so, what am I supposed them, to do
1: he's <laughs> a bard called Marillion. might as well have yeah. called him Mick and
0: Keef like it's ridiculous yeah this guy throughout the chapter is a right wanker he's, he's, he's strutting around the castle because Lysa has taken a shine to him mm. you know Lady Lysa and he's practically stalking this uh Sansa, mm. who let's lest we forget is still only a teenager, and um, well, the the whole most of this, the, the whole crux of this plot in this uh, in this chapter centers around this snow garden, this beautiful garden in, um, in, in the Eerie, co- covered in this blanket of snow. Sansa starts to uh, she starts to rebuild Winterfell, it's quite nice, isn't it? And it's just a moment of her. Just being a, being a teenage girl, I suppose. Yeah, and
1: playing. Like, there's been very little playing um, in, in Game of Thrones, the series, to this point. Um, sorry, in A Song of Ice and Fire, to this point. And, um, yeah, I really... This was quite touching. This was quite lovely. But the thing was that it was far too lovely to be in a George R. R. Martin book. So I was just waiting for it to get shit up. Um, Yeah, you didn't have to
0: wait long. Yeah, yeah. well, exactly.
1: (laughs) But until that point, you're right, it is really nice, and I actually felt something for Sansa rather than kind of, you are very tiresome. You know, I kind Mm. of really, I felt like I was kind of much more plugged into her story and her experience.
0: Yeah. Uh, Littlefinger turns up as she's finishing off making this castle, and uh, there's something in the air, and (laughs) it's not very pleasant, (laughs) and uh, he, he speaks to her about, you know, his first interaction with her is is just laced with creepy innuendo. Did you get this? Yeah. Did I get so, this?
1: This is Stranger Danger, Volume 2 from Peter Baelish, <laughs> isn't it?
0: Yeah, so, Peter Baelish, ''May I come into your castle, my lady?'' Sansa was wary. ''Don't break it. Be gentle.'' He smiled. Oh! Oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> oh! Oh, and Do you know what? In all the training of how to be a lady that she has received... Did it never once, never once, come up that if somebody starts bringing half-baked, third-rate innuendos like that, you kick him in the fucking fork, like <laughs> and run away,
0: <laughs> run away,
1: yeah. or
0: you know, or you could carry on, you know,
1: banter with the, him as he desires.
0: Yeah, this ends in um in him kissing her. Of
1: course, it does, and
0: and not in a sort of surrogate father kind of way. Um and then Robert, uh, before like anything else can happen, uh Robert appears, the you know, little Rob little Ro- little Robin, the uh the Lysa's son. Yeah. He uh, he does his fantastic uh I don't know, he gives a, a nice example of how much of a little spoilt wanker he is by yeah. uh knocking down Sansa's castle.
1: With with great efficiency as well. Did you notice that? Yeah. Like,
0: how many lines has he had so far in the entire...
1: Like, nine lines or something in the whole series? Yeah. And um and with great efficiency, George Martin's like, right, he's got to come in and he's got to fuck everybody off and he's got to do it in as few words as possible. Bosh, bosh, bosh. Yeah. And it, what is it? Like, four lines of dialogue and everybody, everybody is back on. Yeah, he's a <laughs> shit. Even if you didn't know him.
0: Yeah. Sansa responds by ripping his doll in half and <laughs> robbing us mental. He's, he's really upset. He says, You killed him <laughs> And uh he gets sent to his room to be leeched because he's because he, he he gets so upset that he has his he has these fits and he starts having one. Mm. So Littlefinger gets the maces to come out and take him to his room. And uh I mean that might be a, a clue into why he is so sickly that the the number one Preferred method of trying to cure him is by sticking leeches all over his body, Roose Bolton style. Uh, so nice. Okay, that's where that little sort of semi bit ends, and then shortly after, Sansa's summoned to the uh, the High Hall, which is the sort of the ceremonial chamber of the Lord and Lady of the Vale, to see her aunt, who's really, I mean, she's so angry she's borderline insane, isn't she? With it,
1: borderline. She's she's if she's if she's got any relationship to sanity, she's approaching it from the other frigging side.
0: She's <laughs> yeah. gone. I mean, this doesn't start well when Mar- Marillion, good old Marillion, escorts her to the to the hall, and then bars the door behind her. Yeah. And you think, oh oh, something's going down. Yeah. Lysa is, as you say, she's insanely jealous of uh, anyone's relationship with Bayliss, isn't she? Yeah. And this conversation where she's accusing Sansa of leading him on and trying to take him away from her. And, uh, well, it's all wrapped up in this love triangle that existed way back when between Lysa and Baelish and Catelyn, isn't it? Yeah. And how Littlefinger always loved Catelyn and Lysa always loved Littlefinger, basically. Yeah. Classic. uh,
1: Yeah. 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 And they kind of... I was, I mean, I was really amazed that, like, I wasn't really amazed. I just thought this was quite deft, the way that, like, it's very clear that both Peter and Lysa are being driven here by stuff that happened in their childhood. And Mm. they're both being driven by the fact that Sansa looks so much like Catelyn. So Peter wants to kiss her. He wants to, I mean, and more than that, like, there's there's a real sense of that desire to possess because he was never with Catelyn and you know and Catelyn always kind of led him on and whatever and Lysa is insane with jealousy because Sansa looks like Catelyn so mm. like it's I, I, yeah I mean it was all of a sudden right at the end of this big epic book where you've been moving all around this whole world you know good versus evil battles it all boils down into this weird Oops. fucked up dysfunctional you know family vibe with shadows of the past and the rest of it and there's not a lot of people yeah. who can pull that off
0: yeah so, Lysa, in her madness, grabs Sansa and takes her to the moon. Do you remember the moon door? The golden oh. moon door? It's basically a hole in the floor where you push people in, they fall thousands and thousands of feet to the death. She opens that. I mean, it's terrifying, isn't it? And yeah. Sansa's on the verge of being pushed out of it, and you could almost feel the wind whipping at her, at her clothes, can't you? Yeah. She's, she's desperately trying it, and she's slipping on the tiles as she's trying to push herself back in. Yeah. And. It takes Littlefinger's arrival um, to to stop it, and he talks. It manages to talk Lysa down. Hmm. In doing so, l- plots appear left, right. I mean, <laughs> points left, right, and centre come flying out of out of Lysa's mouth. Yeah, uh, one being that she was the one who killed Jon Arryn on Littlefinger's orders. Uh, she gave him the tears of Lys, which is a, a very rare poison. And it was all to sort of be with Littlefinger, so it was a it was a night. So sort of Littlefinger made that happen, yeah. And and also, she um, there's this really strange encounter when at River Run, where uh, Lysa crept into Littlefinger's room when they were teenagers and slept with him, and Littlefinger called out Cat's name while he was with her, and then Lysa had a baby. And it was effectively aborted because her dad made her drink moon tea, which is sort of yeah. you know the Westerosi equivalent of a late morning after pill thing. Yeah, yeah. And um and this brings it right back to remember ages and ages ago, maybe the first half of Storm of Swords, where Catelyn's remembering Catelyn's dad's dying and oh, he's saying, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry, so much blood, tansy, and he and she's wondering if she kinda remembers whether that's a pet name for her sister yeah and this all comes together now doesn't it
1: yeah do you know what i'd completely forgotten that but yeah that's what it is so there was a bit of a red herring with some woman down in the um down in the village called tansy yeah. <laughs> yeah. but no yeah. i mean this makes a lot more sense
0: yeah wow so and i assumed that i assumed that was to because you know hosta Tully had plans to marry her to somebody else obviously john Arin. so mm. um they had to so, so he, he decided to get rid of the baby with God, see, there's. I, I just did feel a bit of sympathy, even though Lias is sort of almost killing Zanza here, I did feel a bit of sympathy for her, because mm-hmm. she has, she's. you can see why she's gone, she's ended up like this, can't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, but man, of all the bad decisions to make, you know, at such a young age to fall in love with Peter Baelish, who's shown himself <laughs> clearly to be a proper psychopath. Not just a slippery, yeah. cu- slippery customer and a nasty piece of work, but a proper psycho.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. And then he's uh, he's the basically the the final act here is he sort of talks Lysa down from killing Sansa, effectively, and then he's holding her by the moon door. Watch out! And <laughs> she says, "He says I've only ever loved one woman." And then he says, and she says, "Truly." And he says, yeah, only cat. And then pushes her out of the door. And this is...
1: Whoa. Th- yeah, this is soap opera type scripting, isn't it? It's kind of like, <laughs> I've only ever loved one woman. Really? Yeah. Not you. Bye. Like it's, again... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Enders drums all over again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, say what you will about Baelish... Uh, he's a quick, quick thinker because straight away he shouts to Sansa, "Get let the guards in." Marillion's just killed. <laughs> <laughs> All right for little thing isn't it? Yeah, and I could just, uh, I could just have this savage moment of like mirth where I just, I could just picture Marillion's face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's what, true. What? It's
1: like
2: what, <laughs> what? <laughs> fuck. <laughs> But oh, yeah. No.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um Yeah, so I was very, very satisfied with this, but then I'm kind of I'm waiting to see what kind of comes of Sansa's awareness of all this. Because she's not the most politically yeah. astute character, so it's not like she can then you know, if she gets away or whatever, it's not like she's gonna spend much time running around going, It's you know, it was her, it was them. It wasn't what everybody yeah.
0: thought. There's an element with Sansa still that, you know, when you said Finger thinks this of her because of this about Carton mm. Uh, Lysa's like this towards her because of this about cart Sansa really is still more than any of the other characters the character that just things happen to isn't she yeah yeah, She's very much particularly proactive she just wanders around having things done to her mm.
1: yeah 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 exactly I've got, I hope to see that change although I would say that being caught in an impenetrable fortress, fortress at the mercy of Peter Baelish is not the place I'd want to start from if I was going to try and develop some <laughs> some personal independence
0: yeah um, let's move on to the last chapter the last of the book. Chapter. It's the epilogue, obviously. Yep. That's why it's called the epilogue. Uh, <laughs> I've just put epilogue and then stroke justice. Have <laughs> 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 you? If you haven't seen this, um, uh, Dave I know you have. There's a there's a da- there's a satirical British news program which was around in there was it the eighties or nineties. Mid nineties mid is called the day to day, and one of the fake news stories they do is that they bring, <laughs> they use the corpse of someone who's been killed, to, to to sort of press the button on the electric chair to kill the murderer, <laughs> and he's got this electrical voice. So he, I mean, it's funnier than it sounds. It sounds really, macabre now. but he's, he's got this electrical voice box, this corpse, and the, that that <laughs> the little the, the little sort of body's hand goes over the button to press the electric chair, and it just goes justice and then (laughs) press the button and this is just this just felt completely like that but in a medieval context
1: i can't believe you managed to draw a a valid comparison between the day-to-day and game of thrones it's ridiculous
0: (laughs) so uh the epilogue is about a character whenever they do the prologues and epilogues george martin he often picks characters with to be in the head of who aren't normal POV characters, who, who is no without
1: different. fail die by the end yeah. of the chapter they're given.
0: <laughs> Good point. Yeah, this is this is Merrit, who's one of the fray household, one of the members of the fray household. He is on his way to pay a ransom for another member of his family who have been caught by. It turns out the Brotherhood without Banners, and it's a dangerous time to be a fray because it's. Uh, he's thinking about how unstable the house is now mm. because walder frey is going to die soon and then there's going to be this almighty bloody battle to to see who succeeds him because he's had so many sons and daughters Mm. Uh, there's quite a sad story of merit really even though he's a frey he was sort of a a, you know a lower son of, of walder and uh he he was a knight for a while but he was a bit crap and he he got defeated in battle twice, the second time he had this injury which means he gets blinded migraines now so he's a bit of one of those sort of on the scrap heap kind of characters isn't he and you really feel it and he, he, he thought, Ruth Bolton do you remember he married Fat Walder Frey yeah. because of her uh, her weight, yeah. she's his daughter and he thought that might help him somehow gain some influence again but it didn't and his one job at the his one job at the Red Wedding was to, because he drinks all the time was to get the great great John drunk, which is you know it's the kind of job that anyone could manage. But yeah. I suppose he needs to stay with him glass for glass. Yeah, I quite liked how there's a there's a bit a memory of the of the red wedding. I think it's page what, five five four seven, and it's about the great John. How his job was to get to get the great John so drunk he couldn't fight, and it said uh, it said the uh, the great John had had. had Enough wine to kill any three normal men. But uh, when he, when they came to sort of get him, the Great one still managed to snatch a sword off the first man, breaking his arm in the snatching, and it had taken eight of them to get into chains. He'd left two men wounded, one dead, and poor old Sir Lentil Hay short of an ear. And I love this sentence. It says, when he couldn't fight with his hands any longer, Umber had fought with his teeth. <sighs> And it's just, this guy is a monster, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, And you can yeah. see why they they were desperate to get him wrecked.
1: Yeah, and it still didn't work.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's no surprise that I think when Jamie's, uh caught, you know, he's, he's wandered through the fields with Brienne as she's taking him back to King's Landing, and he says there were only one or two fighters in the Seven Kingdoms who could ever beat me. And he names the great John as one, and that kind of gives you an example of why just the sheer power of the guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Merritt meets the Brotherhood, and he's got this purse full of gold to ransom his to ransom his family member back, and it doesn't go to plan for him. the <laughs> The Brotherhood, ha- <laughs> to say the least. No kidding. The Brotherhood, the, yeah, the Brotherhood have already hung uh, his his you know Peter Pimple, whatever he's called, and. And they they string up merits as well and kill him uh, at the command of. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> Lady zombie, Lady Caitlin.
1: Yes. Yes. Or Catelyn. You can rely on George to bring in plot zombies at the end of any book, <laughs> can't you?
0: <laughs> I just realised something. Do you remember at the red wedding? You said this problem with Catelyn's name is left forever. Oh, right?
1: for fuck's sake, George. He's <laughs> <His> back,
0: <laughs> risen from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> she who must not be easily named. Oh,
1: oh man! Yeah, Deary what did me. you make of this,
0: Dave? Because this is a this is WTF moment.
1: This is absolutely enormous. Um, and and you know it's quite cleverly foreshadowed way back when Arya asked the asked Thoros of Myr whether he could bring her father back. Mm. You know, can you reattach your head? And, they were, you know, they were, the impression you got then was like, yeah, 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 sorry, no. But, mm. you know, Catelyn, she's, she was dead for a long time. It's not like they just kind of threw her out with the garbage. But, mm. you know, but, and I, I really want to know how this happened. Because what did they do? Go search? There must have been hundreds of bodies from the Red Wedding. And they've gone searching well, through for Lady Catelyn in order to resurrect her for what purpose? I really yeah, don't know. Yeah, it is
0: strange. Do you remember this Arya dream a while back where she was a wolf? And she was wandering around the sort of yeah, the aftermath yeah, yeah, yeah. of the battle at the twins, and she pulled her mum out of the out of the river, didn't she? Yeah, but why? And then she ran off because these guys had turned up with swords, so it suggests that that's them. But yeah, the question that, still remains: What were they doing? astounding
1: coincidence, though, isn't it? Like I'm mm. just going to happen to jump into my wolf and just going to happen to drag my mother's body out of a pile of bodies on the side of the river, where it's just going to happen that these these outlaws are going to be wandering past and they're going to pick her up. And come on like mm. like I, don't get me wrong I'm up for this because I think Catelyn was a great character um but at the same time nah, nah, nah. <laughs> do you know what I mean like uh, you know you better be going somewhere with this George um yeah. funnily enough you know this was kind of spoiled for me somehow despite the fact that it's not yet or I don't know if it's going to be in the TV series <laughs> at the time of recording, yeah, at exactly. the time recording yeah. it's not been in the TV series right um because <laughs> I've got a mate who lives in Northern Ireland and I was Skyping with him the other day where they film Game of Thrones and he was like yeah. yeah you know I mean it's such a small community around here I was in I don't know what he said he was like I was in Tesco's the other day and I turned around and then he bumped into Lady Stark and I was like she's <sighs> oh, dead that? and I'm like, oh you motherfucker I can't believe like what a way to get
0: spoiled yeah oh my <laughs> god, what the chances of that you know what the, the chances of that happening are almost as remote of, as uh, a child walking into a wolf and pulling a <laughs> of the, out the river. <laughs> you are absolutely right, of course. <laughs> that is weird, though, isn't it? That is mm. really weird. Mm. Yeah, oh. I, I was thinking because, yeah, at the time of recording, we haven't, this hasn't, this scene hasn't happened in the series. How much is everyone going to lose this shit when that happens at the series finale? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'm kind of looking forward to that because the last time I was on the other side of this and I was ahead of the in the TV series ahead of the book, so I was like, when the red wedding happened, I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And now, oh, it's delicious. It's awful, but I'm just kind of because it's going to happen in a couple of weeks, isn't it? And I'm going to be like, (laughs) I knew, I knew.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so the book ends with Merit being hung from a tree, the Brotherhood Without Banners standing around looking on, and reanimated corpse of Lady Catelyn looking up going, justice. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and that's the end of the book.
0: <laughs> it just goes yes is yes. <laughs> we've got to put that um that on youtube we? on uh we've put a link to youtube on the shark liver oil account. yeah that's true we have to do that. just uh yeah, yeah. just just showing this i think it is on youtube just so you get if you haven't seen it just so you get what we're talking about <laughs> uh, if you want to get involved in shark liver oil uh in any of the books we're doing uh, or just talking about the podcast in general we're more than happy to hear from you Complaint or otherwise <laughs> All you need to do is email SharkLiverOilPodcast at gmail.com That's SharkLiverOilPodcast at com. Or you can get us on Twitter At SharkLiverOil I know what you're thinking Facebook, surely you've got a Facebook presence Don't worry, we've got you covered <laughs> Facebook, just just search for SharkLiverOilPodcast And you'll find us there Beautiful, you know what I mean? beautiful. Yeah. Um, before we finish Because we're going to take a bit of a break now, aren't we? Yep. For the next few months We're taking a summer break but we will be coming back soon after that with, I think we're going to do a short book, not decided which one yet, and then we're going to dive into The Hunger Games. But if you've any suggestions for other books you'd like us to do, we've put it out there on Facebook already, but um, but send send some in to either the Twitter account or the royal account, uh, email account, and let us know what you fancy doing. What do you reckon, Dave?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to doing The Hunger Games and we still need to decide what kind of palette cleanser we're going to do. So if you know any particularly mm. short books, that are really, really great and we can probably do in, like, a single cast. Um, yeah, let us know. Because I think we've done Game of Thrones in many, many, many episodes, same as the TV series. But generally, I don't know, I, I, am I right in saying, Matt, that we want to do it in fewer than this? Like, we we generally look to, like, between one to three per book.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's quite nice to get this sort of level of analysis into it. Yeah. Um, and we tend to try and do... <clears throat> A hundred to two hundred pages at the most per episode, but most books are done in for sort the of four hundred, five hundred pages aren't they? So you should you yeah. should normally do one in yeah. three or four parts, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, send them in if you know any good, if you know any good kind of books that are quite quick to read, um, but which are still good, have good characters and good plot and the rest of it. Then, um, then let us know. Uh, but mm. the Hunger Games is definitely coming down the pike.
0: Yeah. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the Game of Thrones stuff, we have done a few other books uh, in our back catalogue. We've got a three-parter on The Hobbit. There's a four-parter on a book called The Night Circus. Which, if you want to see how we react to a, a book that we're at best lukewarm about, give that one a try. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other ones we've done. Oh, we did. A, we did one called Zombie Apocalypse again. Actually, Zombie Apocalypse. I'd say we ended up enjoying less than The Night Circus? That's very
1: true. The Night Circus had one particular character whose strand was so bad that we just, (laughs) like it dragged down, it's become a shorthand. But it's true to say that The Night Circus is a much, much, much better book than Zombie Apocalypse. Zombie Apocalypse, though, you don't really have terribly high hopes for because it's called Zombie Apocalypse. Um, But I tell you, actually, it is quite interesting to listen to those because you hear us go from taking it seriously to just being like, this is a fucking joke within a couple (laughs) of podcasts. And that's always fun to do.
0: Yeah, the funny thing about Zombie Apocalypse, if you want to get it, I think it's a it's a really good page turner. So read along with us and and, and give it a try. Uh, but at the end, I think the whole feeling is—I don't know—it somehow felt less than the sum of its parts, didn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although there are other installments, so maybe we'll go back and do do some more. Maybe revisit the universe maybe. of the Zombie Apocalypse.
0: Yeah, and then of, of course there's the, there's a the one podcast. Uh, first one we ever did, where it all came from, where the name Shark Liver Roll came from, which is our podcast of The Old Man in the Sea oh, by Ernest Hemingway. Classic. And we, had a, we had a, we had a, we had a to excuse the pun, whale of a time. <laughs> <doing it. laughs> I so. thought you were
1: going to pull yourself back from that pun, then, and then you just you just <laughs> dove straight into it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now I'm splashing around, looking for some way to uh, to get back and floundering Oh, you're going to throw me a, you going to throw me a life ring or what?
1: Am I fuck?
0: Until then, next time. (laughs) (laughs) See you later.